Brian McClanahan Show, episode 290. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page at Brian McClanahan. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast at Brian McClanahan. You'll find all those social media accounts at my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, McClanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. It's always free to enroll. You get a free class when you do so. And, of course, I have eight classes available for purchase there. You can also support the show by going to brianmclanahan.com forward slash support. You can give a donation or you can get your book plate, which gets you an autograph on one of my uh, seven books. So if you want that, you get your autograph that way. Also, go to brianmclanahan.com, Click on that shop tab. You get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. It's a great way to advertise the show and support the show. And, of course, go to Learn True, T-R-U-E, LearnTrueHistory.com. That's my affiliate link for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. That's also a great way to support the show. I teach there as well, so you get a lot of classes, over 20 classes. Great uh, bang for your buck. And always, 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 uh, rate the show on your, on your favorite podcast, website, share it around on social media. Do everything you can to get people thinking locally and acting locally. Because I think that's the best way to expand the audience. Organic growth is always best. So if you like the show, share it with your friends. And go to anchor.f, uh, anchor.fm excuse me, and uh, leave a message. I know a few people have done this. If you want to get on the show, now I've got, probably within a week or so, I've got an idea for that that might uh, get more interest. I want to hear from you. But you got to think, if you do this, leave something that, leave an idea that, a lot of people are going to want to listen to, and not just something that's you're interested in, um, that you think other people will be interested in, and that I could do a whole show on. I've had a few people do this, but it's kind of hard to make a show out of what they've left. So uh, think about it in that way. What would you want to hear, and what do you think other people would want to hear me talk about? So, all right. Um, that said, let's talk about the topic of the week, and this is a listener-generated listener episode. Um, so it's I've got a couple of those coming up when I can get something uh, out of the way. But this one is certainly listener-generated. Actually, this week will all be listener-generated episodes, ideas that people have sent me. So I do read these things. If you send me an email saying, hey, can you do this? I do read it. I may not respond, but I do read it. And this one has to do with Glenn Beck. Now, uh, recently I talked about Glenn Beck and Sean Hannity and Rush Limbaugh, and of course uh, with Limbaugh's cancer diagnosis, I, I mentioned that. And I mentioned that a lot of people begin their journey into podcasts and uh, expanding their view of American intellectual, political intellectual history by listening to conservative talk radio. There's not really a leftist version of that. Um, and so I mentioned that you know, these people are a gateway to shows like this or Tom Woods, or a variety of other people out there that have podcasts or um, other shows, other media avenues. Um, so I wanted to talk about something that, well, a, a listener sent me a request. Can you talk about Glenn Beck? 
And then I had another a friend of mine say, hey, look, can you talk about Glenn Beck in this particular way? So I'm going to talk about Glenn Beck today. But more importantly, I'm going to talk about something Glenn Beck is doing. But first, I'm going to talk about Glenn Beck. Now, Glenn Beck has gone through many transformations in his life as a radio talk show host. And I have an interesting kind of uh, you know, professional relationship with the Glenn Beck company. I've been on Blaze TV several times. I've written for Glenn Beck's magazine. Um, so over the past decade, I've been involved with Glenn Beck's uh, Blaze company in one way or another, whether it's on their television show, uh, television network, I should say, or uh, whether it's um, involved in his early magazine efforts when it was called Fusion Magazine. Um, so I've been involved with, with Glenn Beck, the Glenn Beck brand, for several years. Now, Glenn, I've never been on Glenn Beck's show, the actual Glenn Beck show. Um, I have friends, of course, who have. Uh, but I've never been on that particular show. And my relationship with the Glenn Beck show is one as just a listener, just like you. I mean, so I've, I've tuned into Glenn Beck's program. I don't listen to it much anymore because I... I found it to get, I was getting bored with it. Uh, Glenn Beck has done some interesting things with history. When he was really hammering the progressives, I thought he was doing a very good job. In fact, years ago, I've been teaching progressives in my college courses for now approaching two decades. And uh, I was doing this before it was trendy to bash progressives. Uh, progressives, before the left actually started calling themselves progressives again, I was attacking progressives and pointing out that the modern left really are just progressives. Nothing much has changed. And so when Glenn Beck started the process of attacking progressives, I thought that was really great. I mean, I thought, hey, here we go. Here's somebody out there trashing progressives, pointing out that these people are really dangerous that progressivism in America is one of the most dangerous intellectual trends in the history of the United States. And it's dangerous because it's presented as something that it's not. It's presented as something that is uh, democratic, that is uh, open to ideas. But in reality, the progressives are, as Chuck Todd pointed out, uh, I mean, they really are uh, fascists uh, when it comes to free speech and free thought and liberty. These people don't want you to have liberty. Now, when I did my podcast episode on the very definition of liberty and what it means to different people, see, the progressives think that liberty is defined as freedom from, right? Freedom from want. Freedom from fear, freedom from pain, whatever it is. That's how they define liberty. And if you go back and you look at, say, um, the uh, some of the earliest Greek philosophers, and you talk about, for example, uh, the Epicureans, uh, they believe that uh, the best thing to do would be to avoid pain while seeking pleasure. And then when you look at the utilitarians, so you bring that forward into the 18th century and 19th century, <clears throat> more importantly, the 19th century, and you look at the utilitarians like Jeremy Bentham. Jeremy Bentham believed that all laws should uh, avoid pain while producing pleasure. 
And uh, the best way to do that, of course, would be to pass laws that would reduce freedom from. So it was a type of liberty that uh, you would have government intervention. The utility of the law would be such that you would have a law that would produce the greatest amount of pleasure while avoiding pain. Now, on the other hand, to do these things, and this is where the paradox comes into play, to do these things, you need to pass taxes because in order to pay for all these things that would eventually avoid pain, you've got to have some type of government service to do it. And so taxes, as John Stuart Mill pointed out, who was also in some ways utilitarian, would produce pain. So taxes are bad. So what do you do? This is the great paradox in all this. If you subscribe to the progressive idea, well, um, they have to choose between one pain or another. And so to, to the utilitarians, those that followed that line, taxes were less of a pain than the greater good, which was more pleasure for, for more people. Few people would pay taxes, more people would receive the benefits from those taxes. So it's a net win. Now, I tend to disagree with that position. There were, there were a lot of libertarians that admired John Stuart Mill. And I, as I've mentioned on this particular show, actually, when I was on with Tom Woods, the Tom Woods Week, we talked about what my political leanings are. Um, and uh, I, I mentioned libertarianism, paleoconservatism, and other things. Uh, but certainly, uh, there are a lot of libertarians that admire John Stuart Mill. And, but John Stuart Mill also had this position as being an elitist, right? If you have a college degree, you should vote more and these type of things. So when you look at the progressives, they are heavily influenced by people like Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill. Without question. I mean, if you look at their political ideology, it comes down to elitism. The progressives certainly believe in it. Experts, elitists, they... they they uh, masquerade behind this facade of democracy, but that's not what they really want. They want elites, their elites, running the show. They don't really care about you if you're not an elite. In fact, they have very disdain. They very much dis have disdain for you. They think you are dirt on their shoe. Just look at how they mock people who are blue-collar workers. They mock the unwashed of America, the vast array of deplorables out there like Hillary Clinton called the voters for Trump. These are people that are not worth their time and they don't care if you die because you don't think like them. So they don't really believe in democracy and uh, they, don't, they don't really believe in liberty, not the way that we define liberty, which is freedom to, right? So you have freedom to or freedom from. It's two different types of liberty and that freedom from was very much ingrained in Puritan society in New England. And again, I've gotten all this before, so I don't want to go back and look at the podcast I did on liberty. So Glenn Beck's attack on these people was fantastic. I mean, I loved it. I love that Glenn Beck went after these individuals. The problem with Glenn Beck is that he's accepted David Barton, who I've also done an entire episode on, David Barton as one of his historical slash spiritual slash intellectual advisors for the Glenn Beck program. And David Barton is as problematic as a historian as just about anyone else the left can throw at you. In fact, this is where we are really in trouble. If David Barton and Glenn Beck are conservatives, our side doesn't need any enemies. Because, uh, or if these people are, you know, libertarians. I mean, Beck is like, well, I'm kind of a libertarian. If these people are libertarians or conservatives, we're in trouble. Because, again, we don't need enemies. 
they are a greater threat to what we believe than the left. Because they are presenting their position as the conservative or libertarian position. Now, uh, and I want to bring up something Glenn Beck is doing this July 4th. But I'm going to do that on the other side of the break. Before I get to that, I want to talk a little more about why this is dangerous. Um, and I mean, this is the neoconservatives. Is Glenn, is Glenn Beck a neoconservative? Well, I mean, he he, masquer- he he critiques the neoconservatives at times, though he has very much neoconservative positions, uh, and he has had those positions on his program. And this is where Glenn Beck like gets right to the edge of where he should be, and this is the frustration with Beck. When I used to listen to his program all the time, he got right there, right there to take the leap and say, okay, uh, I'm going to go all in on rejecting neoconservatism outright, on rejecting the Lincoln cult, I'm rejecting the Lincoln myth. I'm going to go all in on those things. And then David Barton pulls him back. No, 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 Glenn. You're all wrong about these things. What we really have is David Barton essentially running the intellectual side of the Glenn Beck program. And that is dangerous. It's dangerous because David Barton is a hack. Um... And, I mean, this is the, the show I did on Barton with uh, Stephen Crowder, who did an entire you know episode with Barton and going to his little museum and all the things. Uh, Barton is, is uh, ext- and I, I'll never forget years ago when I was at a talk and somebody came up to me and said, hey, do you listen to David Barton? Uh, I mean, David Barton's great. This was back in 2009. And uh, Barton then was not involved very much with the program, the Lenbeck program, but he, over the years, of course, he's kind of like a cancer. He's gotten into it and metastasized and become problematic. Uh, and, of course, he's been exposed as being a fraud, a hack. But Beck continues to put him on the show. Not just that. Beck has made him a central figure in a new enterprise he's doing here in July. So I want to talk about that. I'm going to spend more time on that section. I'm going to take the break right now. I'm going to take the break right now. We'll come back on the other side of the break, and we'll talk about this thing that Beck is doing in July of 2020. It's embarrassing. Um, it's I'm going to get into where it's embarrassing historically and why Glenn Beck should dump this guy Barton uh, and, of course, go to... He won't do it, but why Glenn Beck's program is problematic as long as David Barton is around. All right, I'll see you on the other side of the, of the break. Let me talk to you for a minute about McClanahan Academy. I know at the beginning of this particular podcast or this video, I talked about McClanahan Academy. But let me go into a little more detail about why I think you should sign up for it and why and why I created it. First, a little bit about me. I have a PhD in American history from the University of South Carolina, and I've taught in the college environment for 20 years. And I've seen college students get worse over time, the curriculum get worse, And students are being indoctrinated more than educated now in our higher education system, whether it's high school or college. So I wanted a counterweight to that. And this is why I created the McClanahan Academy. Now, first, it's always free to enroll at McClanahan Academy. You sign up. It's free. And I give you a free course, 10 Myths of American History, when you do sign up. So it's a great way to get an introduction to what I do. But I've got eight courses for sale there and more forthcoming. 
All of these courses are designed to give you the non-PC version of American history, to take the red pill, so to speak. And I've got two courses in particular, my U.S. History Survey courses, which are designed for homeschoolers. So if you're a homeschooler and you want a good curriculum, and uh, my family has homeschooled all of our children from the beginning, and you want a solid history curriculum, that's why I designed the United States History 18, to 1865 and 1865 the present. You've got enough material, you've got lesson plans, you've got uh, tests, you've got reading material, you've got reading seminars, you've got 36 weeks, if you take them, buy them both, you've got 36 weeks of material, and it can be used as a high school history curriculum. Or if you're just a lifelong learner, you can use it otherwise. But it's a great way to get a real history education devoid of Marxism and progressivism and political correctness. So sign up at mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. Again, always free to enroll, and I'll see you there. All right, we're back talking about Glenn Beck and uh, this new project that he has going in uh, July of 2020. And it's called uh, the Restoring the Covenant on the Sacred Ground of Gettysburg. So this is an event that Beck is hosting. It's... it's um, Five bucks gets you in, July 4th, 2020. And the image is, of course, of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> um, and the, the, uh, he says here, quote, Join us to reflect on our spiritual foundations and renew our covenant as one nation under God. Over three days, you'll enjoy keynote addresses, breakout sessions with headliners, special dinners, fireworks, and a Sunday service. Five bucks gets you in. Um, and a proceed support the Operation Underground Railroad and Mercury One. Now, uh, where to begin with this? Beck has been on this kick for now a little while, uh, and I'm just going to read to you the the making of a covenant. This is on the page. And it has an image of the Mayflower and, of course, cannons at Gettysburg and Abraham Lincoln. I mean, the imagery is the cult of Lincoln. But not just that. It's the New England version of American history. The New England version of American history, which is so wrong. Uh, this is why Beck is highly dangerous. Because it's not just Beck that does this. It's, this is David Barton's influence, of course, number one. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, a conservative... Rush Limbaugh has been on this, too. Um, if you go back and look at his Rush Revere books, uh, they begin with the Mayflower. I mean, everyone thinks this is the beginning of America, the Mayflower. It's not. In fact, the Mayflower was the second English attempt uh, at a permanent settlement in the New World. Um, and, not well, I should say the third, if you count the first two Virginia attempts. Uh, and the, May the, the Pilgrims had very little influence on American government in any way moving forward. This is a fabrication of New England historians to try to make the Pilgrims into something they're not. The Pilgrims were essentially an afterthought. So uh, let's read the, the text of this. The Mayflower Compact. 400 years ago, early settlers arrived in America. One of the first acts was to make a covenant with God. 
concept of a covenant is an ancient one. It was understood, well understood in that day, especially by the pilgrims who devoutly studied the Bible. Covenants are mentioned more than a thousand times in the scripture, and dozens of early American founding documents were constructed as covenants. No, they weren't. I mean, look, the, the early Americans were religious people. I mean, this is something that's true. Uh, the founders, to a man, were religious people. Doesn't mean all of them were. In fact, the, big, the, the major leaders of them were not very religious people. Um, uh, some were. Many were not. And I could say that when you look at the founding generation, of course, we always focus on what I call the big six. And I'm going to do a class this year. There is going to be right about this time, which will be fun. I'll be putting out a class on the founding generation. So that'll be a fun class. But, um, and I've got one, I will say this, since you're on the other side of the break, I've got another new class coming up within about a month. You'll have one at McClanahan Academy. So you're going to be looking for that, by the way. Uh, that'll be a fun class too. But the founding generation to a man, yes, they were religious, but they didn't make these, this, this is elevating our political and legal documents to a civic religion in many ways. So the, the page continues, and this is that's dangerous. The page continues. In its simplest form, a covenant is a solemn agreement between two parties. Early Americans wanted God's blessings on the nation. They didn't call it that. I mean, some did, but they understood it was a federal republic. But knew that they also had to do their part. They had to live the, their lives in a manner that God could bless. On this basis, 400 years ago, the pilgrims penned and signed the Mayflower Compact, the first civil document ever written in America. That's simply not true. <laughs> The first civil document ever written in America. First of all, it wasn't written in America. Uh, second of all, uh, you had, before the pilgrims even stepped on shore after spending months on the Mayflower, uh, they, they had, uh, you had the Virginians who had already done all this. Already established a civil government. Already had a Thanksgiving. I mean, all of this stuff had already been done. Convening themselves together under God, they created self-government. They didn't create self-government. The Virginians had done that. This is how stupid Glenn Beck and David Barton are. More David Barton. But see, this is something that I ran into when I was... I had a conversation years ago with some evangelical friends. Um, and they were talking about the founding period. And they were just ripping the Virginians because the pilgrims were where it was at in terms of theology. You see, this is the danger of some of the theology or theocratic-driven uh, interpretations of American history because they get into this stuff and it really undermines the American founding. Uh, this is not to denounce Christianity. Of course, I would never do that. And not to say that Christianity is not important in the founding period. It is highly important. But you have, you have secular government and then you have religion. And the theocracy of New England was not something the majority of Americans wanted. Because that's what you had in New England. You had theocracy. That's not what the majority of Americans wanted. And it's not the basis of American civil government. The real cradle of American civil government is Virginia. The real cradle of American civilization, if you want to call it that, is Virginia. Not New England. Not the Pilgrims. 
So this is highly dangerous and problematic for our understanding of American history. They didn't the, the pilgrims didn't create self-government. I, I'm, I am almost at a loss for words on how you could even say that, if you understand history at all. Self-government was already there. The, the English had a parliament already, and they already had self-government in Virginia. They had the House of Burgesses already established before we had the Mayflower Compact. And when you look at the Mayflower Compact, and you look at actually what it is, there are two groups of people on the Mayflower. There are the adventurers, as the pilgrims call them, and the pilgrims themselves and the adventurers are not allowed to take part in this government. They had to go their own way. And you, every male pilgrim was required to sign the contract. Now, is that self-government or is that forced? Required. That's not self-government. That's a theocracy being established and you don't want to take part in it. Uh, you're gone. Pledging to their li- to to live their lives and operate their communities by his standards. I mean, this would this would imply that people in Virginia didn't do that. That these weren't religious people in Virginia, and I've heard that said before. Well, people in, they were just pagans. They were uh, they were worshiping uh, false idols. Uh, it's also in Massachusetts that you had the 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 uh, uh, settlement of Marymount. Which, if you want to look up something hilarious, go out and look up Marymount. This is the other area of Massachusetts <laughs> that uh, it was completely different than what the Pilgrims and the Puritans were setting up. And then he continues, over the next two and a half centuries, Americans faithfully renewed the country's covenant with God. Both Washington and Lincoln referred to covenants made by earlier generations and then recommended themselves, or recommitted themselves, I'm sorry, to those standards. It's time for us to do the same, and that's what we plan to do 4th of July in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, on that sacred land of Gettysburg. Sacred. Think about what he's saying here. What's so sacred about it? The slaughter of tens of thousands of Americans? That's sacred? And for what? I mean, this is going into Lincoln's remaking of American history in 1864. Lincoln, again, this is the Lincoln cult, and I could just... Lincoln is the greatest problem for American history because Lincoln was not doing anything important except rewriting history when he gave that Gettysburg Address. And this is essentially what this is based on. We have the Gettysburg Four score and several years ago, our forefathers set forth the proposition. I mean, this is just stupid. The Gettysburg Address is one of the most ridiculous speeches ever made in American history because it fabricated American history. Uh, it it revolutionized the revolution, as the historian Gary Wills pointed out. That's I mean, that's what Lincoln was doing. The revolution, the American War for Independence, was not really a revolution, but somehow to Glenn Beck and Abraham Lincoln, it, it was. It was. Um, so he continues, it's a special event called Restoring the Covenant on the Sacred Land of Gettysburg, a three-day affair featuring Glenn Beck, Tim Ballard, David Barton, and Rabbi Daniel Lapin. And you're invited. 
This unique gathering will join like-minded people to reflect on the spiritual foundations of the United States and renew our covenant as one nation under God. Now, that whole idea, one nation under God, which nation is that? Which nation are we talking about? Are we talking about the nation of Virginia? Are we talking about the nation of Massachusetts? Which nation? Because it's interesting, the founding generation understood that there were many different cultures in North America. There wasn't really one nation. And this was a great debate. How do you put all these incompatible things together? Well, you create a union, not a nation. You create a federal republic, not a national government. And then the whole idea of under God was not added till the 1950s. But not just that. This one nation idea. I mean, this is back playing into the socialists because the Pledge of Allegiance was written by a socialist. Francis Bellamy. I mean, all these, this, this entire thing is so problematic from the foundation. The Mayflower was not the foundation of American civil government or self-government. Abraham Lincoln was not, is not the great hero of the Union. He was recreating America at that point. We don't have one nation. We don't have a national government. I mean, Beck undermines his entire position. And this is David Barton. This is David Barton causing all these problems. This is why David Barton needs to go away. Anyone that listens to David Barton, if you're still tuning into David Barton, you need to get rid of that. Tune out. Get rid of David Barton. And if Glenn Beck is going to continue to have David Barton in his program, tune out Glenn Beck too. I have. Because, I mean, David Barton is not worth your time. This entire idea of one nation, indivisible, that's, again, Francis Bellamy. It, it flies in the face of the founding period. If Glenn Beck wants to talk about the founding period, well, let's talk about the founding period. Which founding are we talking about? Are we talking about New England or Virginia? He's talking about New England, but which area was more important? Which area actually expressed a respect for civil liberties, including freedom of worship? Glenn Beck is a Mormon. Do you think the Pilgrims would have wanted Glenn Beck, would have wanted Glenn Beck around? No, they would have booted him out of their community. Or how about the Puritans? The Puritans who would hang Quakers, the bastion of civil liberty in America, I'll tell you right there. Would the Puritans or the Pilgrims have welcomed Jewish people into Massachusetts as Beck is bringing out a Jewish clergyman? Would he have done that? Would they have done that? No, they wouldn't have. In fact, they would have seen that as a threat to the Puritan religion. They would have seen it as a threat to their view of what was required in Christianity. Because Jews, of course, are not Christians. The only state that fully embraced, well, I could say two of them, Pennsylvania did, of course. The Quakers embraced individually, but Beck is not talking about the Quakers. He's talking about the, the Pilgrims. The only other state that really embraced religious liberty was Virginia. First state to have a statute for religious toleration in the United States. Very important. Very important. I mean, New York did. They embraced uh, religious liberty as well. Uh, but other states required a test oath. You had to actually swear that you were uh, a Christian. So was that real religious liberty? I mean, Virginia is the only one that had it. So which state is more important? 
as line gardener Tyler pointed out, the United States is Virginia. I mean, that's look. You look at Washington, Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, John Marshall. I mean, if you go down some people that are that are nationalists, but John Marshall, so important. Massachusetts, other than being a bunch of troublemakers, uh, and there are some good people out of Massachusetts, Sam Adams and John Hancock. I like both of them. Um, But you also had monarchists coming out of Massachusetts. And you had this Puritan tradition, this cultural tradition, the freedom from cultural tradition that is highly problematic for America moving forward. Which America do we want? That's the whole point of thinking locally acting. Now, now I will say this. In Massachusetts, they were very interested early on in having local constitutions and local government. This is Jefferson pointed out the ward republics that they had. This whole idea of, you know, small is beautiful. Uh, The people of Massachusetts believed in that until they became cultural imperialists. And that's the Puritan way, to be culturally imperialistic. Um, And I know people bristle when I start bashing the Puritans. Uh, But, I mean, look... This is where this stuff is coming from. If you really want thinking locally and acting locally, if that's what you really want, local self-government, you're not going to follow the model of the Purit- of Puritan Massachusetts or the Pilgrims. You're going to follow the model of Virginia. Um, and their adherence to real federalism. It's disappointing when you see people like Glenn Beck with such a large audience and such a large amount of influence rely on people like David Barton for the historical uh, for the historical backing of their positions because Barton is creating this mess. Um, and I've got friends who are uh, I can think of one in particular, actually two. Very religious people, very religious people who bristle at this kind of thing with Glenn Beck too, and say, "No, no, no, no. This is this is dangerous." So that's my take on Glenn Beck. Again, this is a listener-generated episode. I've had two, one friend of mine, and of course, another listener, say, "Hey, can you talk about Glenn Beck? Can you talk about this restoring the covenant thing? Can you talk about why Beck is so dangerous or problematic?" So here you go. This was it. Um, you know, Glenn Beck is a good gateway into programs like this, but Glenn Beck is also problematic when you look at uh, his positions, particularly on Abraham Lincoln, the founding. Um, it, it, it creates more problems than it's worth. So that's it for this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. I will see you next time. <laughs>